Finding Purpose, The Song of My Life, Episode 6, Turn of Events, West Berlin. It was the summer month of July, 1970. We were sitting with our new German friends listening to live music at the Go In Club in downtown West Berlin. It was an uneventful evening until Thomas reached out and took my hand. I didn't want to have to say goodbye so soon. I was leaving on a plane out of West Berlin the very next afternoon with my sister, and I was torn between my feelings and our travel plans at the moment. In true hippie fashion, influenced by the Zen philosophy of living in the moment, I decided to just go with the flow that night. Simply put, I didn't want to say goodbye just yet. It was late, and my sister wanted to go back to the nearby hostel where we were staying, and forgetting my dad's last words, which were that we should always stay together, I agreed to let her walk back there by herself. At some point, Peter and his friends decided to leave and said their goodbyes. Thomas and I were left alone. He offered to show me another music venue down the street and suggested we get some pizza at the nearby kiosk along the way. We walked along the brightly lit boulevard Kufürstendamm that he called the Kudam. Besides that it was the main attraction for tourists, with all kinds of shops and cafes, it seemed to be the area where lots of hippies hung out at night. Since he was a musician, he must have been out there often with his band buddies playing at the local clubs. He obviously knew his way around in the area, and he seemed to be right at home there. I don't remember what we talked about that night, but we were just enjoying being together. As the sun was coming up, we headed for the hippies' gathering place on the steps around the famous Kaiser Wilhelm Church called the Gedächtniskirche. I guess Thomas thought this would be a nice place to finally say goodbye and part ways. We had been in our own little dream world that night, and once I realized that I had lost track of time, I said I need to get back to the youth hostel where my sister was. And then Thomas said he should call his mom to let her know where he was. I went over to the phone booth with him and stood inside. Because he was speaking German with her, I couldn't understand their conversation, but obviously something was wrong and she sounded upset. He was looking at me with big eyes and waited until she was finished to hang up the phone. Nervously, he tried his best to tell me in English what had happened. She had received a phone call in the middle of the night from the downtown hospital. They asked her if she knew an American girl because she had had an accident and had been brought there in the night. In her coat pocket, the doctors found the paper Thomas had given us with his telephone number and her passport. They said she was on drugs, had a bad trip, and jumped out the window of the hostel. Thomas told his mother that he was with me now and that he would take me over to the hospital. There I was, standing with Thomas inside the telephone booth, when I received the surreal news. It didn't make sense. My sister hadn't taken any drugs, and she for sure didn't have some kind of breakdown. She was a very level-headed young girl, so this story sounded very strange and scary. Now, here I was with this young 17-year-old guy that I had just met in West Berlin. We were from two different worlds, and at that moment, it was like our lives seemed to collide. Fortunately for me, I was not alone in this situation. Taking my hand, Thomas led the way, walking as fast as we could to the nearby hospital. At least we had the information from his mother that my sister was doing fairly well and that she had only broken her ankle. Arriving at the city hospital, though, was creepy. It looked like a place I would have seen in some old war movie. 
It was a very old building, and of course, everyone was speaking German. I would have been totally lost if I had been there on my own. Thomas did all the talking, and then the nurse showed us into the room where my sister was. The first thing I saw was the white antique metal beds and a very old lady lying in the adjacent bed. On seeing my beautiful teenage sister with bruises on her face and stitches on her chin, I suddenly fainted. Thomas told me afterwards that he was so sorry that he didn't catch me as I was falling because I bumped my head on the way down. The nurses helped me recuperate and finally a doctor came into the room and was able to tell us in English what had happened so far. He said some bones in the front of the ankle were broken and that she would have the cast on for at least two weeks. He advised us that she should spend some time in the hospital for observation, considering that she had hit her face and had been unconscious. It was like a bad dream unfolding, as he told us that someone had found her on the street in front of the hostel and called the ambulance. The old man who ran the youth hostel reported to the doctors that she was on drugs and jumped out the window. We discussed this with the doctor, telling him that this could not be true, but unfortunately we weren't able to get any more information from him. Seeing that we look like hippies, it was to be expected that we probably did do drugs. I was at least relieved that my sister was feeling pretty good. She was completely alert and told the doctor exactly what had happened, but I don't think he believed her. She was so happy that I had found her at this hospital. I felt so sad that she had gone through this ordeal by herself and that I wasn't there for her. She told Thomas and I that when she walked into the building the night before, there were some old men drinking beer and playing cards in the entry hall. At least one of them must have been the caretaker for the hostel. She went up to her room that had two sets of bunk beds in it. She went to bed, leaving the door unlocked, knowing I would be coming later. As far as we knew, there weren't any other girls staying in the room with us. A little later, two of the men came in the room. They were, of course, talking German, and she pushed them out and locked the door. Though they didn't harm her, she was afraid and glad that she was able to get the door shut. She said she went back to bed, and then a short time later, they were at the door again, this time with keys. So she put her clothes on, took her passport, and considered how she could get out of the window. The room was on the first floor of an Altbau, meaning that it was quite high up. The doorway and entry steps were right below the window. She knew she had no choice but to jump, so she tried to aim for the sidewalk to avoid the steps. She must have hit her face as she landed because her chin was cut just below her mouth. She didn't know what happened after that. After hearing her story, Thomas and I were sure the men must have gotten into her room, saw that she had gone out of the window to escape them, and then called the ambulance. They were the ones who gave the report that she was on drugs. Thomas and I needed to go back to the youth hostel to get all of our belongings. He spoke with the caretaker there, trying to find out what had happened, but he kept to his story. It was never even clear who called for the ambulance, and Thomas, being a long-haired teenager, wasn't the right kind of person to put the pressure on him to get at the truth. His mother, Nadia, was busy helping us by then to find a suitable clinic where my sister could stay for a few days. We needed to concentrate on her recuperation rather than the trouble with the men at the hostel. In the following years after the accident, this always bothered me. The men had obviously covered up their actions, which led to my sister getting hurt. 
After taking her backpack and some food to the hospital, the next problem was, where should I stay? Thomas's mother generously invited me to come stay in their family's apartment, and then I could call my parents from her telephone. I hated to leave my sister alone in that ancient hospital for another night, but at least we could look forward to her being moved to a nicer place the next day. Thomas and I went on the bus with my things to the area of Berlin where he lived in Lichtenfelde. I was thankful that I could stay in his home, but was nervous about meeting his family and having to call my parents to give them the bad news. Since it's a nine-hour difference between Germany and California, we decided to make the call in the evening so that it would be morning for my parents. I have no recollection of how the conversation went, except that mom and dad were devastated to hear about my sister's accident. The good news was that she was okay considering the circumstances. My parents wanted her to come back to California as soon as possible. We told them that the doctor said she should stay in a hospital for observation. Nadia, who spoke some English, talked to my parents, assuring them that she would help us. She had already found a nice clinic near to where they lived so that I could visit my sister every day. My dad spoke some German as it was his first language, so they were able to communicate fairly well. Though I knew my parents were worried about my sister, it was comforting to know they would be praying for our situation. They told me that they would ask their church prayer group to pray for my sister's recuperation and safety. There must have been many other details involved, like my dad needing to make plans with his health insurance company for the stay in a clinic. Here I was, living with Thomas's family. I still can't believe that they took me in, and his mother immediately got involved in the whole situation, helping these two young American girls in trouble in Berlin. The Van Doren family lived in a modern three-bedroom apartment on the ground floor. His father, Edward, was in a wheelchair because he had been partially paralyzed by a stroke. He wasn't able to speak very well, but he did greet me in English. Thomas's older brother, Michael, also lived there and was studying to become a music teacher. Thomas's mother worked at a medical clinic as a technician where they did research. Because she slept in the living room, the only place for me to sleep was in Thomas's bedroom on a couch. I knew my parents wouldn't be happy about this arrangement when they found out. Early the next morning, his grandmother, Omi, came to the apartment with some groceries and began her preparations in the kitchen. Because Thomas's mother went to work, Omi came to do the housework and be there for Edward. She was the sweetest little lady, white-haired and very small. Thomas introduced us, but she hardly knew any English, so we couldn't have much of a conversation. She prepared the lunch, Mittagessen, which was a warm meal for the family. This was the first time I had seen this tradition. The American practice was eating dinner in the evening after everyone was home from work. Omi had also brought snacks for Thomas and his brother, fresh white rolls, Sprite, and chocolate, which she set out on their desks. His brother had already gone off to his college that morning, and Thomas decided that instead of going to school, he would stay home with me. Omi prepared a simple breakfast with rolls for us, and then we went downtown to the hospital. I was thankful to see that my sister was feeling much better, and she was, of course, looking forward to getting out of that dingy old hospital. Once again, Thomas helped us with the procedures there so that she could be transported to the clinic where Nadia had arranged for her to go. It was in a nice area of the city called Sellendorf, where she would have a private room. 
Thankfully, my parents could afford this, and they would be glad to hear that she was in a pleasant place with the best of care. We spent the day with Teresa in her new room, and later Thomas's mom came after work to meet us. She had a talk with the doctors to get more details about her condition. They told her she was recuperating well, but needed to rest and stay off her feet for a few days because of the broken ankle. Then Thomas and I went home with Nadia to make another long-distance phone call to my parents. They were relieved that Nadia was taking care of things, otherwise my dad probably would have come to Germany himself or insisted that we fly back home. The whole situation was quite dramatic, being that we were two young girls in a foreign country. I think it was the most difficult for my parents because they were so far away. I can imagine they shed many tears over their young 17-year-old daughter. I don't know what it was like for my little sister at home hearing about the whole story. My sister and I in Berlin were holding up okay in having to deal with this new situation, mainly because Nadia was taking care of the arrangements, including the financial issues. On our next visit to the clinic, I distinctly remember my sister telling me that she knew that God was with her and helping her, so she was content with the circumstances. It was her decision to stay in Berlin and wait until her foot healed. She wanted to continue with our travel plans, which included some more time in England until the end of August before returning to California. The next day, we were able to get her set up with a telephone in her room. Finally, she could talk to mom and dad herself and assure them that she really was okay. And even though it was very expensive to make long-distance phone calls, my parents insisted that she have a telephone. In the preceding weeks of our stay in Berlin, my dad wrote a letter to Nadia and her husband to thank them for everything. My dad spoke German with a Stuttgarter accent, which he had learned from his parents, but he had never learned to write German. He had a neighbor friend who was German that gladly translated the letter for him. Thomas reluctantly agreed to get back to his high school schedule. We made a plan that I would stay at his home until he returned from school, and then we had Mittagessen with his grandmother. On our way to the clinic, we stopped at the shops to get snacks and drinks for my sister. I think we even took her some ice cream as a special treat and tried to entertain her so that she would not feel too lonely. I remember the place having lawns and nice trees, so we were able to take her outside for some fresh air. I always felt sad having to leave, but was confident that she would be back on our feet soon. This strange turn of events was sure not what we could have foreseen happening on our Europe trip. In one night, our lives were changed. At that moment in time, I couldn't have fathomed what the future would hold for me including our fun sightseeing days in the city, and then the recuperation period for my sister, we spent a total of three weeks in West Berlin. It was too bad that I hadn't learned any German from my father growing up. I never would have thought that I might need it someday. I was 19, almost 20, and I was supposed to start the photography college in September, yet here I was in a completely different world than I was accustomed to, Thomas and I were getting closer as the days went by. Even though we didn't have much in common, I felt completely comfortable with him, and we were becoming friends in the midst of these crazy circumstances. Like many other young women of my age, I was looking forward to meeting the right guy and falling in love. But I couldn't allow myself to think about that, because I would be leaving soon, back to my country and back to my home. 
In closing, I'm reminded of some of the books that I was reading in those days. The gurus and the philosophers said you should follow your heart. But what comes to my mind today are these words. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. This was written by a wise king in the book of Proverbs, which is in the Bible. See if you can find it.